you'll take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be finishing up this series of messages on the full armor of God. And as we do, I want you to notice something about this passage. Going all the way back to verse 10, I want you to notice the imperatives. There are seven commands that God gives us in this passage of Scripture. The first is to be strengthened in the Lord. And then He tells us to both take up and put on the full armor of God. And then He tells us to stand in verse 14. Stand with truth like a belt around your waist, with righteousness like armor on your chest, your feet sandaled with the readiness of the gospel of peace. So we're to stand with each of these different pieces of the armor in place. Then he tells us to take, which actually means to receive, to receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we're to be strengthened in the Lord. We're to stand. We're to take up and put on the armor of God. We're to receive these gifts that He has given us for our protection. But then there are two final imperatives, two last commands that are given that we're going to look at this morning, and that is to pray and stay alert. And together, these commands outline for us our battle plan. It's our strategy for spiritual warfare. Rely on God's strength, not our own, to receive and use for our defense the Lord's armor, and specifically for offense, the sword of the Spirit. And throughout the fight, we are to be alert in all prayer. Now, we can't neglect these last two parts of the battle plan, being alert to the enemy's schemes, praying for direction and for strength. These are as vital to a believer as having watch-out towers and lookouts or sentries and spies would be to an army. To have that first line of defense, to have those people that are on the watch, on the alert, Because we need to know where our enemy is. We need to know what his capabilities are, and we need to be aware of his plan of attack, don't we? If you're not aware of those things, if you're an army and you don't have those kinds of sentries and outlooks and watchtowers, you're in trouble. And we also need clear, consistent lines of communication with our commander-in-chief. We need to receive from him help, wisdom, guidance, strength, Listen, if you wanted to really hurt an enemy on the field of battle, one of the first things you do is cut off their lines of communication so that the soldiers in the front line don't know what the orders are, don't know what's going on with the rest of the army. Well, listen, as Ben said, I've got good news. Satan cannot cut off our line of communication with God. He can't interrupt, intercept, or stop prayer. But we can. We can. How often... Do we sabotage our own spiritual victories because we're not alert? We're not praying. It's been said that the army of Christ advances on their knees. Prayer is an indispensable part of the strategy and the armament that God has given us. As one 19th century American preacher said, prayer is the first thing, the second thing, the third thing. Pray, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, pray, pray, pray. Prayer is vital. John Bunyan likened this, these last two verses here, or three verses here, he likened them to a weapon in the armor like the sword of the Spirit. He called the weapon all prayer. 
It's the weapon of all prayer. It's the supreme weapon to use against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Verses 18 through 20 describes for us six essential qualities of this kind of prayer that we need for putting on the armor of God, for being able to stand in the strength of the Lord and face our enemy's attacks. Let's look at these verses and then we're going to look at each of these six qualities and evaluate and say, which of these are lacking the most in my prayer life? Where can I grow in prayer? So we'll start in verse 18. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Let's pray together now. Father, we are thankful for the time of worship we've enjoyed together in Your presence, lifting up your name, making your praise glorious. We rejoice in these children that have helped to lead us in worship and, and these who have professed their faith publicly before this church through baptism. And God, we thank you for the gift of your word and this armor that we've been learning about, and especially for the honor and privilege we have of stepping into your presence in prayer. We pray that your spirit would speak to us now through these words and that you would help us to grow in our prayer life and ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first quality of prayer is it needs to be Spirit-filled prayer. He says that we are to pray in the Spirit. Now, it's no coincidence that Paul joins up the sword of the Spirit with pray in the Spirit. Notice that those are right next to each other. The sword of the Spirit and pray in the Spirit are so connected. If you remember, the Spirit breathes the Word of God, inspires the Word of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives the Word of God truth and life and power. And in a similar way, if we want our prayers to be truthful and powerful, we need the Holy Spirit to animate, to give life to our prayers. Jude 20 talks about this when Jude writes. He says, But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. If we want to build ourselves up, if we want to be strengthened in the Lord and hold high that shield of faith, Jude says we have to pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8 when he says in the same way the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings and He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, there are two supernatural things Paul says in this verse, these verses that happen when we pray in the Spirit. The first is the Holy Spirit gives us the words to pray. He tells us what to pray for. I don't know about you. Have you ever you know, been praying for something? You're like, I just don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray for this person. I don't know exactly what I should be praying for in this situation. You ever been there? You just don't know what you should be praying? The Spirit can help us. Listen, without the Spirit's aid, our prayers are limited because our knowledge is limited. Our insight and and our reason are limited. But when we pray in the Spirit, it's as if He lifts our minds to a higher level. Listen, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to help us pray according to the will of God. 
The Holy Spirit who knows the mind of God also searches out our hearts and helps our heart to beat in rhythm with God's heart. In other words, He helps us through our prayer to bring our wants in line with God's will so that we know that what we're praying for is according to the will of God. And listen, when you can pray with confidence that you know your request is according to God's will, that's what I call praying in faith. That's some powerful prayer. We are to pray filled with the Spirit. Just as we receive the armor from God, just as He gives us the helmet of salvation, He gives us the sword of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives power and direction to our prayers. But secondly, praying in the Spirit gives us access to God's power. You know, when you're emotionally exhausted, it's been a long day, maybe you're the parent of of preschoolers. (laughs) You're tired. You're worn out. You don't feel like praying, do you? You ever been there? You just don't feel like praying? You just want to go to bed? The Spirit can give us the desire to pray, the drive to pray. When you feel too worried, when you feel too depressed, the Spirit can breathe new life into your prayers. He not only can give us the words to pray, He can give us the want to pray. So we need to be praying filled with the Spirit. Secondly, we need to be praying continually. Paul says it's continual prayer. Look what he says. He says, pray at all times in the Spirit. Now, the Greek word there for times literally means seasons. He says, pray in all seasons. The good seasons and the bad seasons. The times of bounty and the times of want. When you feel spiritually dry and when you know you're bearing fruit for the kingdom of God, in every situation, in all seasons, pray. Pray continually. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you ever wonder, David, what's God's will for me? There you go. Right there it is. It's God's will for us to rejoice always, to give thanks in everything, no matter the situation, no matter what's happening, no matter how you feel. It's like we learned in James. We can rejoice when we face trials and hardships. We can count it all joy. Why? Because we know and trust that God is working through those things to help us to grow and become mature and complete in Christ. And we're to pray constantly, he says. Not just rejoice in everything, give thanks in all things, but to pray constantly, continually, never stopping. In Acts 1.14, after Jesus' ascension, it says that, that the disciples were continually united in prayer. Like Ben said, prayer is for more than just mealtimes and bedtimes. It's for more than just when you're facing surgery or you're grieving over the death of a loved one. Prayer should be like breathing. It's a constant activity of our lives. We can't live without it. Amen. We can't live without prayer. It should be a constant, present activity in our lives. But what does that look like? I mean, obviously it doesn't mean that you, you walk around with your head bowed and your eyes closed, right? Certainly don't drive that way. It doesn't mean that you can't talk to other people, you can't read a good book or watch the news because you've got to always be in prayer. What does this mean? Well, John Wesley offers a helpful description of what constant, continual prayer looks like. He says that the person who is in this daily attitude of prayer 
His heart is ever lifted up to God at all times and in all places. In this, He is never hindered, much less interrupted by any person or thing, in retirement or company, in leisure, business, or conversation. In other words, as we live our lives, as we go about our day, doing all the things that we do, His heart is ever with the Lord. Whether He lie down or rise up, God is in all His thoughts. He walks with God continually, having the loving eye of His mind still fixed upon Him and everywhere seeing Him that is invisible. To have continual prayer means that we live our lives daily in the awareness of the presence of God. That we acknowledge He is our constant companion and guide. It's an attitude of the heart as much as it is an activity of the mind. And when we live in that posture of prayer, we find that it's easier to offer up prayers as we face different situations throughout the day, as we need God's help, or as we thank God for what He's doing in our lives. We need continual prayer, filled with the Spirit. Third, we need comprehensive prayer. He says, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. If we pray continually in all the different situations we encounter, we're going to need to have a variety of different kinds of prayers, aren't we? You know? And, and, and Paul here, he's using two synonyms for prayer. When he says prayers and requests, don't read too much into that. It's not like two different kinds of prayer. He's emphasizing the need that we have for continual, comprehensive prayer in our lives. Think about all the different kinds of prayer that we might need in our lives. Prayers of confession for when we sin. Prayers of surrender when we need to give our will over to God and obey Him. Prayers for wisdom when we have a decision to make. Prayers of thanksgiving when God answers a prayer or blesses us in some uh, unexpected way. Prayers of intercession for others, which we'll talk about later on. Prayers of adoration when we worship God, when we praise Him for who He is, when we declare to Him our love. Prayers of meditation as you're stewing on the Word of God, as you're thinking about the things God is saying to you and you begin to pray those things back to Him. And I could go on and on. Prayers for healing, prayers for provision. There are all prayers for peace. There are all kinds of different prayers that we can pray. The point is that when we live in an attitude of constant prayer, when we live in an attitude of seeking first God's kingdom and His righteousness, then we'll find ourselves praying a different kind of prayer for the different kinds of situations that we face in our life. And the more we exercise those prayers, the more skilled and comfortable we become with them. They become second nature to us. Philippians 4, 6 says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. When we pray comprehensively in everything, with a variety of prayers, bringing to God both our requests and our thanks, our confessions and our praises, Paul says that we'll find ourselves worrying less about the situations we face, the struggles we deal with, the trials that we endure, the, the world that's out of control around us. And why can we worry less about these things? Because we've learned we've got constant access to the throne of our sovereign Lord, that He hears us, that He sees us, and that there's nothing too big for God, too little for God or too big for us that we shouldn't be praying for it. Nothing falls outside God's care for us. We need to have prayer filled with the Spirit that's continual, 
at all times. It's comprehensive in all ways. And number four, it needs to be watchful prayer. Because he also says that we are to stay alert. Stay alert. Like good soldiers. We need to keep alert. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep at your post. You may remember how Peter warned us that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking anyone to devour. And what does he tell us to do because of that? He says to be sober-minded and alert. Be sober-minded and alert. Just before Judas betrayed Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said to His weary friends, He said, Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Stay awake. Be alert and pray. You see, Satan likes to strike when we're weak, when we're tired, when our guard is down, when we've lowered our defenses, when we're stressed or depressed, when we're exhausted. Listen, I don't know about you, but that's when I'm most susceptible to temptation or to fear or to doubt or to discouragement. It's at those times. That's when I need prayer the most. And we need it more and more every day as the return of Christ draws nearer, don't we? And that's what Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded for prayer. So we're to be alert and sober-minded for prayer, not just because our enemy the devil is out there prowling around, but because our king is coming back. We need to be alert in prayer. And, and this, this call to being watchful in prayer, to being sober and alert, it's found throughout the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. So being watchful in prayer is connected to standing firm and having faith and being courageous and strong, all things that we are called to do as soldiers in the Lord's army. They're connected. In Colossians 4.2, Paul writes, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. What does it mean to be devoted to prayer? It means to be committed to it. It means to be all in with it. It means to live that life of continual prayer in the Spirit. And when we stay alert in prayer with thanksgiving, that reminds us that our prayers are not only continual, but they're comprehensive. It's prayer and it's thanksgiving. It's requesting and it's praising. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, it tells us, So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. So, did you all hear that? Don't be asleep like the rest. Stay awake. Stay awake. Take a nap when you get home. What Paul is saying here is the lost, the lost for whom we are fighting. Right? Remember, they're not our enemies. Our enemies are not flesh and blood. They're the ones we're fighting for. The lost in the world. It's as if they're asleep. They're asleep to the spiritual reality, reality around them. But you know what? We as Christians have no excuse. We're to be awake. We're to be alert. We're to be aware. And when we can do that, it helps us to be self-controlled, meaning that we are intentional in our choices, in our habits, in our priorities. We're not just drifting through life asleep at the wheel. We know where we're going, and we go there with purpose. Watchful prayer, then, is about being aware. It's about being awake to God's truth and to the true nature of the world around us. It means that we stay on mission and we don't forget that this world is not our home. That we're seeking first God's kingdom and His righteousness, not the things that lost people obsess and chase over. Watchful prayer 
It's about centering ourselves in God, being rooted in His Word and certain of our identity in Christ. That's watchful prayer. We are to pray at all times in the Spirit with every kind of prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance. With all perseverance. So it's supposed to be persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable that we call the parable of the persistent widow. And on a first read, uh, it's kind of a confusing parable because it almost makes it sound like the persistent prayer is just about annoying God until He finally gives in. You know, sort of like that, that toddler that wants goldfish. And no matter how many times you tell them, they're tugging and asking for goldfish until you finally give in and say, fine, eat the goldfish. You've been there, moms and dads, I know. In that weak moment where you give in, that's not what Jesus is talking about, obviously. So let's, let's look at this parable together in Luke 18, 1 through 5. Now, he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. Just what Paul's been talking about. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling. But later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect people. So he's not a good guy, right? Not a good man. Obviously, God is not being compared to this unjust judge who doesn't fear God or respect people. That's our first clue. He says, Yet, because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Now, Jesus isn't comparing God with this judge. He's contrasting this unjust judge with our just God. He's showing us the difference. And his point is that if this unjust judge was willing, because of this widow's persistence, to give her what she wanted, how much more will our gracious, just, loving Father give us what we need? Especially when we persevere in our requests. Think of what persevering prayer means. Just like when your kids, maybe, or or you are asking for something. You're desiring something. You want something. When we're persistent in it, it means that it's not just a fleeting thought. Right? It's not a passing fad. It's not just some mood that you're in. If you're being persistent in it, it reflects a deep desire or a desperate need. And if our prayer is being done in the Spirit, being watchful, then it's likely that we're praying a prayer that God desires to answer because our heart is being brought in alignment with God's will. Does that make sense? So we, when we persist in prayer, if we're praying filled with the Spirit and we're praying being alert and watchful, then that means that the thing that we can't get off our heart that we keep coming to God for is something God wants us to pray for. Now, why is He delaying in answering? You know, sometimes God answers no. Sometimes He answers yes. Often He answers wait. Not yet. Not now. In my time. Why does He do that? Sometimes it's because He wants us to really value the thing that we're asking for. Because He really wants us to hunger and thirst for His presence and His blessing and His power in our life. He wants us to really desire this answered prayer so that it will have the maximum impact in our life and in the lives of others. But it's easy to become fatigued, isn't it? It's easy to become discouraged in our prayers when God doesn't answer quickly or when He doesn't answer the way we want. In Acts 12, 5, Peter was in prison for preaching the gospel. 
preaching the gospel, healing people in Jesus' name, and the Sanhedrin arrest him, they try him, they beat him, they throw him into prison to decide what to finally do with him, and the rest of the church in Jerusalem is naturally concerned. So they gather together, and they have an all-night prayer meeting. And they persevere, they persist in that prayer until Peter's released and shows up at the prayer meeting. How's that for answered prayer? They experienced and lived out that night what Paul says in Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Listen, persistence is only a virtue because we're standing firm against opposition. We're standing firm in the face of disappointment and doubt. That's why Paul says rejoice in hope. We rejoice in hope. That's why we need patience in the face of affliction. Listen, if it was easier instantaneous, we wouldn't need to, be pers- to persevere, would we? There's no need to be persistent if it just happens like that. We are to be persistent in our prayers as Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7 and 8. He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Notice the progression here of persistent prayer. He first says that we are to ask. Okay, We're asking for help for a need that we have or a need that we know that someone else has. And when you're asking, you're acknowledging you don't have. It's an acknowledgement of your lack. Lack of resources, lack of knowledge, lack of wisdom, lack of strength. You lack something, therefore you come to God. So there's an implicit humility in coming to God in prayer and asking for something. Oftentimes we don't pray because we just kind of, I can do it myself. And we're just going to kind of power through in our own strength and wisdom and we often fall flat on our face. There's humility in asking. But secondly, he says, seek. We add some action to the asking. Beyond expressing our need, we now show a willingness to search for the answer. We not only look up, we're looking out and around as well. It involves effort. It shows that we're invested in this request. We ask, we seek, we knock. Here's where we add to our asking and seeking some persevering. There's another parable Jesus tells. In fact, Luke's record of this, uh, this teaching right here about asking, seeking, and knocking is preceded by a parable of a persistent friend. And in this parable, a man has some unexpected out-of-town company come to stay the night. That ever happened to anybody? And he's got to feed them. He doesn't have enough bread. So he goes to his neighbor, and it's midnight, right? And everybody's asleep. And he goes to his neighbor's house, and he's knocking on the door, begging for bread. And Jesus says, because of this man's boldness to come at midnight and to pound on that door persistently asking for bread... The neighbor knows it's a dire need. And he meets the, meets the need. He helps his friend. Sometimes our prayer needs to be us standing at the door, knocking. Being persistent. Letting God know, this is a deep need. This is a deep desire that I have. It's not that God is unaware of that. He wants to know that you're aware of that. Amen. He wants to know that you know that this is something you desperately need. And not only is the progression of these three words significant, in the Greek, they are present imperatives. Which means that a better way to translate this is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. We are to be persistent at all three of those things. 
And we don't give up until God either answers that prayer or gives us a clear no. And when we get a clear no from God, that just changes the prayer. God, help me to accept this. God, help me to endure this. God, see me through this time of grief and loss. It changes the prayer. It doesn't invalidate it. Our prayer should be persistent. Not only for our needs, but for the needs of others. And that brings us to the last all statement about prayer here in verse 18. He tells us that we're to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. We need intercessory prayer. What does that mean? It simply means that you are interceding on the behalf of someone else. You are going to God for another person. Now, of course, God wants us to pray for ourselves as well. The, the kind of the fancy church word for that is supplication. So we go to God and we ask for Him to supply our needs, but then we also intercede on behalf of others. We pray for others. And that's important to remember because oftentimes our prayer life can kind of gravitate toward becoming all about us. And we forget that we are to fight a mighty battle for the souls of others. And we do that on our knees in prayer. We forget about the ministry of prayer for other people that God gives each and every one of us. We all have a ministry of prayer. To pray for other people. Remember what James wrote in chapter 5 of his letter about the ministry of prayer for those who are sick and for those who struggle with sin. And he says, he concludes that saying, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. We should be praying for our fellow soldiers, for the family of God. We should pray for one another. One of the greatest things you can do for a family member, a friend, a brother and sister in Christ is pray for them. But Paul has something specific in mind. He's got a specific kind of request in this intercessory prayer. Look at verses 19 and 20. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. We are to pray specifically for the mission God has given us to go therefore to all the nations to proclaim the gospel, to baptize, and to teach people to obey what Jesus has told us. To make disciples. We should be praying for the lost around us, the people that you know that are far from God, and we should pray for one another that we would shine His light in this dark world in such a way that people will see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. We should pray for one another as we make disciples and lead people down this path of salvation. That was a priority in Jesus' prayer life, and it's something He commanded us to pray. In Matthew chapter 9, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then He said to His disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into His harvest. God commands us to pray for a harvest of souls. He commands us to pray for God to send workers out to that harvest. And we pray that prayer fully realizing and knowing that guess what? We're part of the answer to that prayer. Amen? We should be praying for one another, encouraging one another to go out and get to work sowing gospel seeds and reaping a harvest of disciples. In Colossians 4, 
Paul reiterates how important this is, he almost gives the same request to the Colossian Christians as he did the Ephesian Christians. He says in Colossians chapter 4, at that same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. What a powerful prayer to pray for ourselves, for each other. Listen, I ask you to pray that prayer for me. Pray that prayer for your pastors, your Sunday school teachers, your deacons. Pray that prayer for the missionaries on the field. Pray that prayer for our sister churches around us that we would speak the truth with boldness, that we would make Jesus known with wisdom, that God would open the door of opportunity for us to do all of that. It's a powerful prayer. Paul's focus on the word all in talking about prayer reminds us that because we're at war, all of life, all of life should be lived in prayer. We need it every moment of every day. We have a great enemy, so we should pray. Pray at all times, in the Spirit, with all perseverance and supplication. Pray alertly and persistently. Pray for all the saints. Take up and put on the full armor of God in Spirit-filled, watchful prayer. That's how we should start and live every day. If we want to be strengthened in the Lord, if we want to take our stand, that's what we must do. Listen, I pray for you. I pray for you throughout the week as I prepare to bring this message every Sunday. And I pray that if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, if you have never experienced that conviction of your sin and a turn to Jesus Christ to say, God, forgive me for my sins. I want you to be the Lord of my life. If you've never experienced that, I pray that you would do that today. We're going to stand and sing a song in just a moment. And as we're singing, I'm going to be standing down front. If you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, as the baptism of these three has shown us, that you need to die to your sin and you live as a follower of Jesus, I invite you to come today and put your trust in Him. I pray that if you've done that, that you've never been baptized, that you'd be obedient. Christ commanded us to do that. And I pray that you would come and say, David, I'm already Christian, but I need to be baptized. love to baptize you next Sunday if you can. But you know what? Every one of us in this room are called to put on the full armor of God. And I pray that because of this sermon series, it's more than just, that was interesting. Those were, those were good sermons. I hope they were good. You know, I want this to be life-changing. I want you tomorrow morning to wake up and to pray the Lord's armor. If you'll notice on the back of your notes, uh, there's a kind of a summary image there, kind of the, from all the ones we've been putting on there each week. I put that there so that you could have that as a guide to pray through and put on the armor of God. And I want you to do that right now as we pray. And then we're going to stand and sing, and I invite you to respond as God's Spirit leads. Father, we are grateful that in the midst of this spiritual struggle that we all face, You have provided us an armor. God, I pray You would help all of us to bind our life with Your truth. God, in a world of chaos where there's so many false narratives and so many lies that the enemy throws our way, God, may Your truth secure us. Father, I pray that You would cover our hearts with Your righteousness. Remind us that we are washed clean by the blood of Christ. As believers in Jesus, we are covered 
by His righteousness and may that impact our lives that we live righteously. God, I pray that You would help us to sandal our feet with readiness for the gospel of peace. That we would not only walk in the peace of knowing Jesus, but we would share that peace with others. That we would be willing to go wherever You send us to take the gospel. Father, I pray You would help us to carry that shield of faith. And this week, Lord, I know Satan's going to hurl fiery darts at each and every one of us. Darts of temptation and darts of, of distress, darts of doubt, darts of distraction. God, I pray You would help us by faith to trust in You, to see us through them, to submit ourselves to You. God, I thank You for the helmet of salvation that protects my mind and reminds me of my identity in Christ. And that no matter what happens in my life, I can rest secure in knowing I belong to You. And God, I thank You for the sword of the Spirit. And I pray You would help us to wield it wisely and skillfully, that it would not only cut into our own hearts and reveal the truth that we need, but we could use it to extend the light of the gospel to other people and share that good news, to share that wisdom and truth, the promises and the comforts with others. God, help us, clothed in Christ, to stand firm against Satan. In Jesus' name we pray.